You know, everyone worries occasionally, or wrestles every, occasionally with worry and with stress. In it. But in recent years, anxiety has taken hold of our society in epidemic proportions. But thankfully, God's Word is filled with wisdom and insight on the topic, and that is both relevant and timely for us today. God is the only foundation you can build your life on. And I'm thankful that God is moving in our church and we're seeing lives that are transformed and filled with hope and the peace that only God can give. You know, anxiety is the number one issue for females and number two for men just behind drugs and alcohol. And the more God is removed from the conversation, the anxiety levels increase more and more. And there are ramifications. We're less connected socially. We have replaced real relationships with technology. Instead of face-to-face, -face, we spend time in our devices and watching Netflix. Technology has made us more aware of what other people have that we don't have. And we start playing the comparison game. Every study shows that the more we're on social media, the more anxiety increases. We're getting inundated with tragic information quicker. Sometimes happens, and within minutes, we're seeing and hearing about it. And sometimes we don't have enough time to process it all. Anxiety. What is it? Fear and anxiety are related. Fear sees a threat and it reacts. A bear, you run. A rattlesnake, you run. Fear tells us to fight or flight, and it's a beautiful gift. Anxiety imagines a threat in our minds, and you can't move on. Anxiety has been described as a tidal wave that rushes over us with what-ifs. What if? What if there's a rattlesnake? Never go in the grass again. What if there's a bear? Never go in the woods again. What if the plane crashes? Never fly again. It's a series of what-ifs. It's what anxiety does to us. And it puts our bodies in a constant state of fight and flight. I remember being called by a man one time to come and visit his wife. She was suffering from a phobia called agoraphobia. She was afraid to go outside the door of her home. She was a prisoner in her home for more than five years. And he was getting frustrated. He was getting abusive with her. And he said, we need help. So I started visiting with her on a regular basis and praying with her and talking with her and it, it just wasn't make sense. But every time I suggested that she go outside that door, her neck would turn bright red and she'd just kind of freeze. Then her husband became ill and he was in the hospital and I said, do you want to go and visit him? She said, I'd love to do that more than anything in the world, but I'm afraid. I said, okay, if you grab my arm and we'll walk from your door to the car, real quick. When she's in that space, she's fine. And so 
We said, maybe we'll do it this week. So one day she decided she would, but she was trembling, literally trembling as she held on to me. And we got in the car and I thought, whew, got her there. I parked as close to the, or the hospital entrance as I could. And I got her out and she held my arm and I got her inside and she was fine. I walked her up to her husband's room and when he opened the door, he just began to sob. He couldn't believe that she had come to see him. I said, what make the, made the difference? She said, everybody told me to do it. You said, I'll walk with you through it. And she felt secure. You see, Paul, Paul is giving us some advice today that we're going to look at to help us to deal with the what-ifs that come in our lives. Fear is temporary, but anxiety lingers. You find yourself in a constant state of what-ifs. Your chest tightens. You can't sleep. Your mind keeps asking, what if, what if? I've experienced that. While I was preparing this message, I had to go in to get some x-rays done, and then I get a call immediately after from my doctor and says, his receptionist says, the doctor wants to see you right away. And all of a sudden, what if? What if it's, and what if it's that, and oh, and what am I going to do? And, and I won't, you know, what if, what? and the anxiety level started. And I said, get you behind me, Satan. Get you behind me. This is not true. I'm not going to allow you to do that to me. What if I get sick? What if the market crashes? What if a terrorist attacks? What if a, there's another flood? What if I lose my job? What if the kids' teeth are crooked and we don't have enough money for braces? And, and if their teeth are crooked, maybe they'll never get married and I'll never have grandkids. It just gets worse. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable. But the prison of anxiety is optional. To quote Max Licato. Fact is this, anxiety disorders are uh, one of the most common mental health problems for children and youth. 4% of young people, 12 to 19 years old, and 5.8% of young adults, 20 to 29, in Canada were diagnosed with anxiety disorders. These rates were higher among young women and Aboriginal peoples. Robert Lee, a psychologist, points out that the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety that the average psychiatric patient experienced in 1950. Anxiety is not a sin. It's an emotion. So don't be anxious about feeling anxious. Anxiety, however, can lead to sinful behavior. When we numb it with a six-pack, or food binges, or when we spew anger, when we peddle our fears to anyone who will buy them, we're sinning. Do you assume something bad is going to happen? If talks Sick anxiety leads you to abandon your spouse, 
neglect your children, break covenants and break hearts. Jesus gives us a word for that. In Luke 21, it says, be careful or your hearts will weigh down with the anxieties of life. Is your heart weighed down with worry? Here's some, some of the signals. Are you laughing less than you once did? Do you see problems in every promise? Would those who know you best describe you as negative and critical? Many days you'd rather stay in bed. Do you magnify the negative and dismiss the positive? If you'd answered yes to most of these questions, I have a scripture for you to read with me today. And it's Philippians chapter 4. And it says this. Let's read it together, okay? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, or whatever is praiseworthy, think on these such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is interesting. Five verses, four admonitions, and a great promise. It says, first he says, rejoice. And then he goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything. And then he goes on to say, pray, prayer and petition. And with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And this is what happens. Think about such things, and the God of peace will be with you. So what he wants us to do, if you break this down, he says, he wants us to celebrate, rejoice in the Lord. The verse that I begin each day with is rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then I say, give me the eyes to see, the ears to hear, a heart that's willing to receive the good works you have for me today. That's positive. And you look for that. You listen for it. It makes a difference in your life. It over helps you to overcome the what-ifs because you're going to rejoice in the Lord. And then he tells us to ask. Ask God for help. Let your requests be made known to God. A specific prayer is a serious prayer. If I say to you, I'd like to drop by your house sometime, you'd think, oh, he's not really serious. But if I said to you, do you know what? I'd like to drop by your house on Friday. I've got an issue at work that I'd like some advice from you. I think you could help me with some advice. I'll be there at 7, and I'll leave by 8. Then you know that I am being very specific and serious about my prayer. And when we pray to God, we ask God specifics. Make your requests known unto God. 
example of that is in Genesis 24. Then he prayed, Lord God, my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. You can't get more specific than that, can you? And look what happened. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulders. I was sharing a garrison earlier this morning. Uh, one day, uh, Carol said, uh, we should go down to the park, uh, to the car lot to look. And I go, when she says that, I know she's thinking new car. And I thought, ah, oh, no, we've just got... So we went down. And uh, she, I said, well, I thought, I'll make it hard. I said, if I pick a new car, it'll be that pizzot. And it would have to be this color with a sunroof and power windows and all that kind of stuff. And, and the guy said, well, we could order that for you. Stop it. I said, oh, yeah, but... And Carol said, how much would that be? And what would the monthly be? And she says, we could do it. So we ordered our car. Two weeks we were waiting for that dream car. Told you the temperature inside and out. I like that. Didn't have to roll down the windows. Well, the night before the car was to arrive, we were to pick it up. I was awake at 2.30 in the morning, and I was um, anxious, very, very anxious. And I thought, i got to pray about this. So I said to Carol, I'm anxious about this. My heart doesn't seem guarded. And so I went out to my Chesterfield and I knelt down and I opened the Bible and I thought, God, speak to me through your word today. I was hoping he would say, you know, whatever you ask in my name, it's yours, buddy. But I didn't. I opened the Bible. It was in Haggai. I don't read Haggai at 2.30 in the morning, but I did that morning. And the line that just popped out at me was this. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with a hole in it. I thought, oh, good grief. So I'm back in, and Carol said, well, I said, we're not getting the car. She said, if that's how you feel, I said, that's what God told me. And then I had to break the news to my sons in the morning, and they were not a bit pleased. When you pray specific, be expected. You can expect a specific answer from God because God is faithful. And then leave your concerns with him, with thanksgiving. Make a list of the blessings that you are thankful for. What are you thankful for this morning? Just think about it right now and just shout it out to me. What are you thankful for this morning? One thing. Good. Okay. I heard some stuff over here, but no answers over here. What are you thankful for this morning? This church. church? Me? Oh, I like that lady. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, make a list. Thank God for the blessings in your lives. And then meditate on good things. Think about the things that are good and worthy of praise. Could you use some common spells? Calm, really, doesn't it? Celebrate. Ask, leave, and meditate. 
We could all use some calm in our lives. Well, there's a wonderful prayer that I came across, and I want us to read it together this morning. Can we do that, please, if that could be on the screen? <clears throat> Dear Lord, let's read it in unison. Dear Lord, you spoke to the storms. Would you speak to ours? You calmed the hearts of the apostles. Would you calm the chaos within us? You told them to fear not. Say the same to us. We're weary from our worry, battered and belittled by the gales of life. O Prince of Peace, bequeath to us a spirit of calm. Quench anxiety, stir courage. Let us know less fret and more faith. In your name, amen. Isn't that a powerful prayer? What a powerful prayer. One would think that Christians would be exempt from worry, but we're not. We have been taught that the Christian life is a life of peace. And when we don't have peace, we assume the problem lies within us. Not only do we feel anxious, but we also feel guilty about our anxiety. And the result is a downward spiral. Worry, guilt, worry, guilt. It's enough to cause a person to become anxious. Max Licato said this about this passage of scripture. He says, I wonder if the Apostle Paul was out of touch with reality when he wrote, be anxious about nothing. Be anxious for less would have been sufficient challenge. Be anxious only on Thursday or be anxious only in seasons of severe affliction. But Paul doesn't offer any leeway here. Be anxious for nothing, he says. He wrote it in the present active tense, which applies an ongoing state. It is a life of perpetual anxiety that Paul wants to address. In other words, don't let anything in life leave you perpetually breathless. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. You know, um, there's a picture here I want to show you. That's the O'Hare Airport. And you know uh, the Toronto Pearson Airport? They have about uh, 1,250 flights a day. So that's over half a million. Can you imagine what it's like being an air traffic controller? Uh, they have a very stressful job, you can imagine it. Sitting up in that tower, having to make split-second de split decisions on which plane is going to land and when and where. And every decision that an air traffic controller makes has a life and death implications. That's the life of an air traffic controller. They really do have life and death implications. And what Paul is telling you and me today in this passage of Scripture that we just read, that when it comes to anxiety, the same is true. You have to become the air traffic controller. And what thoughts you allow to land in your mind. And you must be good at it. Whatever thoughts you allow into your mind will determine the direction of your life. Think about that. And if you don't like the direction that your life is headed, you need to come back and think, 
What are you allowing in your mind? You say, Blaine, I, I don't control every thought that goes into my mind. None of us do. Have you ever been sitting there and said, where did that thought come from? Good grief. I don't either. But like an air traffic controller, he doesn't control every plane that comes into the airspace, but he does control the power. He has the power to decide which plane he allows to land. And that's what I want us to learn from Paul. He's going to lead us. We don't control every thought that flies into your mind, but you do control which ones you allow to land. You know, birds fly overhead, right? And I have no control what birds fly over my head, but I do have control over the fact of whether they're going to make a nest in my hair or not. We must learn how to be air traffic controllers. And look what Paul says. And he's talking about anxiety here. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. As an air traffic controller, this is what you're going to allow to land in your life. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right, pure, lovely, admirable? And I want us to look at, he says, I want you to think about such things. And, and the Greek word here is um, logismai. What does that kind of look like in English, logismai? Kind of logic, doesn't he? He's saying, use logic. It turns out that the most powerful tool that we can use against anxiety weighs about 1.4 kilograms or three pounds and it's located between our ears. It turns out that you know, fear sees a threat and you react. It sees a snake and you run from it. Anxiety imagines the threat and can't move on. There might be snakes everywhere. See, you have to think about what you think about. Not every thought is even worth thinking about, right? Some thoughts that come to your mind can become very destructive. You've let them linger. Well, what do I do? How will I know what to allow? Well, Paul tells us, here's your list. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, Excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. And the New King James says, meditate. Meditate. Meditation is not sitting on the ground with your legs folded and your hands out and going, hmm. Eastern meditation tells you to empty your mind. But when you look and study meditation in the Bible, it doesn't tell you that at all. It tells you to fill your mind. It says in Psalm uh, 119, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. To battle your anxieties, you don't empty your mind. You fill it with what is good. And I'm going to give you a visual here today. You know... If we fill our minds, this represents our minds, okay? And if we fill our minds with, what if I lose my job? What if I can't pay my mortgage? What if my wife 
doesn't love me anymore. What if, what if, what if, what if, and all of a sudden, you're filled with all these what ifs, anxiety. Satan wants, he works seven, 24 hours, seven days a week to fill your mind with the what ifs, the negativity. How can you be positive if your mind is filled with what ifs all the time? And so, meditation, some say, well, you empty your mind. Okay? An empty mind. Um, can you live with an empty mind? Some of you are thinking, my husband does. No, he just doesn't talk as much as you do. But an empty mind will be filled with something. And so all of a sudden you start back again. What if? What if? But if you fill your mind with what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, if it's excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. You see, if your mind is filled with positive thoughts, there's no room. There's no room. Where's the room? Falls right out. You see, this is a simple illustration. I'm a visual learner. I'll remember this. So what am I going to allow in my mind? That which is true. Noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. And the more you fill your mind with the good, there's no room for anxious thoughts. Let those thoughts land and the only way you eliminate those anxious thoughts is you fill it with positive thoughts. Some of you might say, I can't do that. I've struggled with anxiety for so long, I don't think I can empty those anxious thoughts out of my mind and fill it with something good. I've been told I have an anxious mind and, and it's all chemical. No, it's more spiritual than you ever imagined. And if you tell yourself you can't do it, no, it is more spiritual than ever you ever imagined if you tell yourself that you can't do it. I could never retrain my mind to think about what is good. Let's go back to what Paul says. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? No, it's not. What are you doing? You're retraining your mind. And you're allowing that thought who you are as a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same Spirit that parted the sea. The same God that raised the dead man to life. Second Corinthians says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So you can take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. The word captive here, it means to arrest with a spear or a sword. You say, well, I don't have any weapons. Uh, yes, we do. In Ephesians 6, it says we have the armor of God. 
And the armor of God, he says, the only offensive weapon is the sword of the Lord. And the sword of the Lord is what? The Bible. The Bible. And what does Hebrews say about the word of God? It says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts. It judges the thoughts. And Paul gives the list. True, noble, pure, right, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I'm going to fill my mind so that the anxious thoughts will move more and more to the past. And this will not happen overnight. You know, when you start working out, Stephen uh, started working out. And um, he came into the office what day after he worked out. And he said, oh, I am so sore. I'm sore all over. I said, well, you know, every day it takes work. And pretty soon you won't be that sore anymore the more you exercise those muscles, right? And that's the way it is with this. This is not going to happen overnight. But it's a discipline that you'll have to engage in. You have to name your anxiety. What category does it fall under? Be specific. If it's financial, what if I wonder financially? What if I lose the house? Or is it my marriage? Or what if something happens to my loved one? And it's constantly bombarding your mind. Or you're anxious socially all the time. Maybe it centers around love. Is someone ever going to love me for who I really am? Will the person you are married to continue to love you? What is the category that continually fills your mind? Then think about what is true. Noble, right, pure. God knows. God is the one in whom I put my trust. I can get anxious every time I preach with all the what-ifs. And Satan is always dropping thoughts. It wasn't good enough. I should have said it differently. You're not good enough. And I take captive of every thought and I say, is it true what I'm saying? Is it lovely? Is it pure? The power is in God's word, not in me. Isaiah 55, 11, on the pulpit, I, I taped it on there, and it says, the word of God will not return void. And I have to believe that. So I renew my mind and I say, God, I'm teaching your word. And doing this, I'm renewing my mind. The list that Paul gives us is a list I will use to allow what will land in my head. What is lovely? What is admirable? If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Do you want to find calm in your chaos? I would challenge you to begin to read over and over. I've read this over. I've got to commit it committed to memory maybe 200 times in the last two weeks. And I've had a book. It's called Less Fret, More Faith by Max Licato. 
And uh, this is a, the book that I read first is called Anxious for Nothing, and a lot of my material just touched the surface of what he says in this book, and I've read it through twice, and I said, it is an amazing, an amazing, encouraging tool. And so I ordered, I, I ordered this on uh, my Kibo. For a dollar, you can get this. It's called Less Fret, More Faith. But then I ordered 40 of these, and um, they're in the library. If you would like to buy one, I think they're $4. But if you can't afford $4, just toony whatever, just to defray the cost. But it is a 11-week action plan to overcome anxiety. And I loved it. Take one little short two or three pages, and then you put that into practice that week. And then you go on to the next week and the next week. And 11 weeks guaranteed you'll start noticing some difference and some hope in your life that maybe you didn't feel was possible. Do you live in a constant state of anxiety? Does what if plague you over and over again? Man, it's almost a companion with me some days. And I just have to say, Satan, get behind me. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to look for what is true, not what I imagine. Because Anxiety paralyzes you, right? It's okay to be fearful. That's a gift from God. But anxiety paralyzes you, and we don't want to be paralyzed. We want to be free in Christ. Our loving God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of gathering together this morning as the church. You know our hearts. You, we've even witnessed here this morning people who are suffering from anxiety overwhelmed, Lord, by the weight and the pain and the concern. And Father, some of us wonder, will I have enough money when I retire? Some will say, will I be able to afford my mortgage? Is my job secure? You begin to wonder and fear. And it paralyzes us at times. But Father, you are our God, our good, good Father, and we trust you, and we will allow truth penetrate our hearts, that which is lovely and pure and right. May that captivate us. In Jesus' name.